welcome to Resilience Unraveled. I'm your host, Dr. Russell Thackeray. This podcast is the result of my fascination with health issues, resilience, performance, mental health, accountability and critical thinking, along with many of the other obsessions I bump into in my life. I spend my time working with highly successful teams, organisations and people, and this podcast introduces their remarkable stories, as well as my synthesis of the key issues, tips and strategies to thrive in life. If you find this podcast useful, you can also find other information at qedod.com or russellthackeray.com. Stay tuned to the end for details of how to order a free ebook. Enjoy the podcast. So today I'm talking to Melissa De Silva. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Russell. And I'm picking up from your accent that you're over the pond. I am, and you can probably hear a little bit of Boston in it. <laughs> can you? Is that where you are? Uh, we're right outside of Boston, yep. So Boston, well, I'm from Rhode Island, but Boston and Rhode Island have very distinctive accents. Right, okay. I was in Boston a couple of years ago, and it's an absolutely gorgeous city. Mm, yes, it really is. Not as gorgeous as Philadelphia, but I mean, that might, be, that might not be the place to start to have a fight. <laughs> no. <laughs> So, um, so um, Melissa, tell me all about yourself. So I am a mental health therapist and I work with the LGBTQ plus community members and I specialize in working with transgender individuals. I own a group practice where I started off about four years ago with just myself and now has grown to um, 18 clinicians who are running under me. We're working in nine different schools. And I just published a book. So I do lots of things. And in my off time, I do a lot of art. Wow. So how did you get, how did you get into this world? Well, I thought that I was going to grow up and be a school social worker. Um, and so I had a therapist or a school social worker that really made an impact on me. And I wanted to be able to do that for other teenagers. So I went to college. I got my social work degree, specialized in schools. I did that for about six years and I was all set. I wanted to be able to have my own flexibility. Um, the buildings that we were working in were extremely old and they were making me sick. Um, so it was just, if I wanted to create a lifestyle that I wanted, I knew I had to reach out and do something on my own. So when you say the buildings were making you sick, uh, uh, what, what do you mean by that? So what was happening is I had this office uh, on the first floor of the school and I felt like I was getting carbon monoxide poisoning wow. and I would come in and I would just want to go to sleep all of a sudden. Um, I would go to the emergency room. They would say, there's nothing wrong with you. Next week, um, my coworker upstairs felt the same way. So then we went to the emergency room together. It took us twice as long to get there because we were so foggy brained. Uh, I don't think we should have been driving. And so they checked our carbon monoxide levels and still nothing. Um, so they turned it around and said that I was having anxiety about coming to work and that's why I was feeling ill. Now, a mental health therapist, I would know if I was feeling anxiety. Um, but I was sure that this office and this building was making me sick because it's over 100 years old. Um, so to solve the problem, they put me upstairs on the third floor with no windows, no heat, no air conditioning. <laughs> so I was in this cave. Um, and because I didn't have access to the rest of the building because it was so closed in, I felt better. 
Um, but I couldn't work in a building that I didn't have a window to look out of. So um, then come to find out during Christmas vacation, we had to move the whole school to a new building because there was so much mildew um, in the area that I was working that the front part of the school might actually fall down. Wow. Yeah. So I, you know, I had this like sick building syndrome that nobody would believe. And I think a lot of people do have sick building syndrome and it's hard to detect because, you know, people will say, oh, it's just in your head. Nobody else is sick. But if you have a sensitive system, sometimes the chemicals or the mold or anything can really affect you in the way you think. It's interesting, actually, how um, sick building syndrome has become a thing, hasn't it? It's actually become a condition. It's become something that people take seriously now. Yes, absolutely. And I think with the school, they didn't want to admit to what was going on. Like they removed mold below my uh, my office, but never told me like what was going on down there. I think that they were afraid that I would come back with a lawsuit or something because, yeah. you know, they were telling me there was nothing wrong. And it is interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's, it sort of reinf- it reinforces the point how much of our environment around us um, yes. actually affects us. You know, I talk to people who work in the middle of the countryside, you know, live a virtual or digital life, and they, they have a sort of different rhythm to the, to the way they work. And you, know, you talk to people in cities, and they just seem quicker, don't they, and um, faster and more frenetic, the whole pace of it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we're so fast in the city because I'm in Providence, Rhode Island, and that's the city of uh, Rhode Island, and everything's fast, 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 fast. Yeah. Which is not necessarily a bad thing because if you like fast, 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 then it's that's mm-hmm. a very good thing for you, isn't it? Yes, yes, which keeps my attention, so that's great. <laughs> so, what, so why did you leave social work? So I, um, about four years ago, I started my own practice, and I did um, private practice with other individuals. Um, we do um, mental health therapy, so we sit down and talk with people who are struggling with anxiety and um, you know, depression. I like working with people who are transitioning from uh, one gender to another. And, you know, we just did some great marketing. I don't know anything about marketing, but for some reason I studied enough and I was able to figure it out. And we just really grew really fast. So right now I only do two days working with clients and the rest of the week I do stuff like this um, and try to spread the word about entrepreneurial successes and working with somebody who has a disability. So that's interesting, isn't it? So how how would you... um... So what's it like then being a sort of a businesswoman or entrepreneur rather than the sort of therapist? Do you, do you sort of miss the therapy side of it? No, I found out that I really like the business side of it. It allows me to be creative and I'm yeah. a very creative person. And so a lot of people don't want to do the business side, but I just really love it. Um, and I just learn so much as I go. Um, you know, it's just been really fun. Yeah, it's interesting. You often find people going... It becomes quite a, um, a bit, a sort of a, how can I describe it? It becomes a, one of those journeys, isn't it? Where you decide, you know, do you specialise in the therapeutic side or do you go to the business side? It's quite rare to find somebody else who's interested in the marketing and entrepreneurial side of it. How, how have you found building the, the business itself? It was uh, interesting because I knew nothing about building a business. Um, I grew up working on a beach selling thong bikinis to people, and that was as far as I got for learning how to run a business. Uh, so I pretty much used what I learned there, like convincing people they need my services uh, because they do. 
and um, just figuring out how to reach those people and really narrowing it down to, okay, who are my people? Who are my ideal client? Um, so we just really grew really fast and networking and I'm really an introvert, but I, you know, I'm able to pull it together when I go out and do my networking because I'm very excited about what we do. Yes. And, and do you find that spending less time with anxious and depressed people has, a, has an effect on you as a person as well? I would say so. But then I also noticed that a lot of um, therapists or healers themselves struggle with their own stuff. And that's a lot of reasons why we get into the field. It's yeah. that we know what it's like and we want to help other people. I struggle with um, bipolar and so, you know, I like to work with other people that have that diagnosis so that I can help them through it. Um, so even though I might be, able to be working with so many clients, a lot of clinicians and healers also have stuff that they need to work through to help other people. I think it, I think it was either Freud or Jung that said something along the lines of most therapists are therapists because they are actually just figuring out their own issues and practicing Absolutely. on everybody else, aren't they? <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's all grad school right there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So how do you, how, how as a therapist, do you protect yourself? How do you build a boundary between yourself and another person? Because that's an important skill for anybody in life, isn't it? Not to be somehow polluted by somebody else's stuff, whether you're in a team at work or a sports group or whatever it is. We are sometimes susceptible to everybody else around us. So how, how, how do you do that? I think it comes with practice and being in the field for so long. When you're fresh out of school, you want to help everybody, and sometimes you end up doing more work than the client. Um, but as you move along and have some experiences, you realize that a lot of people are more resilient than you originally thought. Um, sometimes people can be toxic and just kind of realizing like that is not your toxicity to hold. Um, you're there just to hold the space um, and kind of help people work through it. Um, but also making sure that you don't have your own mental health routine mm -hmm. and the lifestyle that allows you to almost like rejuvenate every week. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And, yeah. And, and you talk about a lot of people having resilience. I mean, you talk about the trans community. And um, I mean, that's a group of people that need amazing amounts of resilience as well, aren't they? How, how do you help them build that sort of toolkit to be able to survive or you know, thrive through that transition process? I think it's important to remind them of the great steps they've already taken of just, you know, identifying who they truly are is a huge step and just reminding them that they've already accomplished something great. Um, and then, you know, working through some of the feelings that they're having and let them know that, you know, a lot of the feelings that you're having, um, a lot of other people, it's natural to have these feelings. Mm. Um, and a lot of people think that they're the only ones that have certain feelings. But, you know, I see a lot of people who have the same concerns. Um, and it's great to be able to come to somebody who understands, like, what you're talking about. Um, so... I think that it's important to, you know, go at their pace and just recognize the successes they're having and then support them through the next step that they want to take and understand that they may not want to go as fast as you and there might not be uh, a longer journey. It might just be one thing or another. It could just be a pronoun change. So just kind of following the, the, the lead of the client. 
That's interesting. Um, do you think this is a good time to, to be trans? It seems to be a particularly difficult time just at the moment, isn't it? It is. It really is because uh, there's a lot of danger out there for people. Um, and until you really start working with the population or, um, you know, if you are a member of the community, you don't really see things like they may, such as uh, the bathroom situation. That was a huge thing here in America is that, mm. you know, if you were born uh, with male genitals, then you should be using the male bathroom. Um, but then that's very dangerous for somebody who presents as female. Um, and then the other thing is, is that the way your feet turn when you're using a toilet in a stall. So if you are facing the wall and toilet, you're typically born with male genitals. If you turned around, uh, you're born with female, right? Yeah. And so people don't think about that until you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> It's interesting, isn't it? Because actually in your country, there's a big sort of move against the trans community with the sort of removal of trans rights in the military and such like. I mean, how does that, how does that affect the community as a whole? Well, with the military, I had come into the situation where I had um, an adolescent come to me and they were working through their transition journey. And there was a lot of depression because they weren't living their authentic self. Mm. Um, and so to get... Um, certain permissions for surgery, you have to have a diagnosis. Um, and so, you know, he had gender dysphoria, but also depression. So then move forward four years, this child wants to join the military and they say, no, because you had a, a diagnosis of depression four years ago. Yes. Um, and so they would not accept this person into the military. Um, so it's just like, you know, this poor kid really wants to be able to serve the country, but the country is really pushing back and saying, like, no, we don't think that you're the right fit for us. Um, so if it was, you know, I wonder if it was just depression or if it was depression and being transgender. Um, but it ended up that that person wasn't able to join. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I mean, yeah. your, your point about living your authentic self doesn't have to apply to trans people. It's, it's everybody, really, it applies to, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, how, and it's hard. So how do, you, how do you define what an authentic self is? I think that it is whatever you feel that is in your heart. It's almost like you can feel it inside and acting on what is instinct for you and not letting society or others around you um, and put an impression on you if it's not something that you feel is true to you. Um, and I think that can be very hard because we are kind of like cattle. We're herded to where, you know, people want us. Um, and it's really hard work. But I think an authentic person is somebody who just kind of speaks from the heart and lives um, from the heart. So I'm guessing you must be, um, you know, doing work around self-esteem there to be able to help people allow themselves to have the, the right to, to live that authentic self. Yes, yes. Self-esteem is a big thing that we work on. Um, finding things that you're great at, even if it's the smallest thing. Um, and then, again, looking at past strengths. Even if it was getting out of bed today, that might be a huge goal, and that might bring up your self-esteem, knowing, yes, I've already achieved this. Or doing something like coloring a picture and knowing, like, yes, I have created this piece of art, 
and it's completed. Just kind of having the sense of completion and some sort of success. So you create opportunities for people to succeed and then they can celebrate that step, yes. as it were, and then you, you make, they make the steps greater and greater mm -hmm. and such like. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I think a lot of people who are aware they have lower self-esteem um, beat themselves up by creating challenges for themselves which are too large and sort of reinforcing this sense of hopelessness. And I think you're right, aren't you? It's about creating a man. It's sometimes why it's great to work with somebody else because they can see that and, and create a better sort of path for you. Yes, yeah. And, you know, it's, it can be really difficult, but sometimes even just like almost having an overinflated self-esteem as like a way to kind of like feel a little bit better sometimes makes you feel a little bit better. Um, and, you know, you got to kind of figure out what works for you. Yeah. Do you think people can have self-esteem that's too inflated? Um, no, I don't think so. But I think, like, if you can almost fake it until you make it. Yeah. Um, and that kind of, you know, just kind of gives you a little boost. Yes. Yes, why not? As the acting is if, isn't it? Um, I remember watching that yeah. thing about power poses and such, like, on TED Talks years ago. I've forgotten the name of the woman who used to talk about that, but you know, why not? Why not fake it till you make it? You know, there's no harm, is there? Yeah, yeah, and especially for people who are introverts. I mean, sometimes you gotta, you know, fake that you want to be out in the community and talking to people, and then know that you need to take a nap after. Yeah. Um, so you got to figure out how you can create a lifestyle and environment that works for you. Yeah, and that's the point, isn't it? People. People look at um, others uh, and they assume everything's fine. But, you know, I'm an introvert as well. And I hate networking and I'm going to spend Friday morning networking. And it's, you know, it's the whole idea of it is hopeless. You know, I really just don't like it. But it's something it's useful. It's something I want to do, something I can add value to and vice versa. And so you sometimes you have to get over yourself, don't you? And, and sort of just get on with it. Yes, yes. And I have an assistant where... Every time I sign up to do something and that day, I'm like, I don't want to go to this thing. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, then why do you sign up for this stuff? <laughs> yeah. And so you mentioned bipolar. So can we unpack that a little bit? Because it's uh, some people will know a lot about it. Some people know nothing. Can you give me a sort of a, a thumbnail introduction yeah. to it? Yeah. So um, bipolar is a mood disorder. Um, but I also think it's my superpower. Um, because if I didn't have it, I don't think that I would be as successful as I am actually, but it's, this, um, tends to be a cycle of emotions where you will have a period of time, maybe a few days, a few weeks, a few months where you might be extremely depressed and then something might trigger you where you start going into like a super happy phase, um, with lots of energy and, um, can be a bit impulsive and, um, you know, I know a lot of people will use bipolar as in a term of like, oh, her personality just changed right now. Or she was happy two minutes ago and now she's mean. Um, that's not really bipolar. Um, bipolar tends to be a extended more, like extended time. Um, and I think that in the past, bipolar was kind of missed. I know it was for me when I was younger because the depression, you know, when you're depressed. And then if you don't realize that mania isn't something that everybody feels, you think that, okay, mania is typical. And so this must be what happy is. And I remember the moment I was driving my car and realizing like, 
I don't think everybody feels this way when they're happy. Just this abundance of energy and having to start projects and, you know, work through the night. And then I realized, I said, like, I think I might be bipolar. And, you know, and uh, lo and behold, I was. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting how many creative people actually have this, have that condition. And I, I wonder if there's a correlation between high creativity and bipolar. Oh, yeah, I would say so. I mean, I come up with some great stuff when I am on my high. Um, and a lot of people who enjoy that high don't want to take medication because that was one of the things I was afraid of is losing that creativity. I thought I was going to be dull. Um, and, you know, still making sure that you have time to be creative. And I think that's what's ha helped with my business is that I'm able to be creative with problem solving, um, but then when I come into my down phase, I can go home and take a nap or I'll tell my assistant that I'm going to take a nap and, you know, she understands or there's days I wake up and I just can't be a therapist. It's yeah. just like I can't therapize today. And then, you know, my assistant knows um, it's a day where I just need to kind of crash. Therapize. That's a great word. The, um, <laughs> yeah. The, um, so how do so if there's somebody out there who's... How, who, who suspects they might have this? Are there any signs they should look out for? Yeah, I would say um, if you have these feelings of feeling down, I almost think of it as like a meh feeling. Mm -hmm. Like nothing is making you like very excited or even like motivated or you just kind of feel like sleeping all the time or just kind of wanting to isolate, play video games. Um you know, that is something to be concerned about, especially if you're having feelings of suicide or just not wanting to be around anymore. It's important to see somebody for that, too. Yeah. Um, and then if you go from that to, oh, my goodness, I need to buy a greyhound dog because that's really what I want to do right now, which I have done. Um, you might need to realize, like, OK, I don't think a lot of people do this. Um, if you're making impulsive decisions, if your speech is rapid, if you're not sleeping well through the night because you're just up and you're like fired up to do something. Um, some people will engage in more substance use um, during one phase or the other. So um, if you're finding there's like two different almost types of you, um, it might be important to go see somebody and talk about that. So is this something to watch out for with kids as well? Because if you say the diagnosis is missed, I mean, I suppose people notice the um, depression side of it with kids, but I wonder if they miss the, uh, the sort of upside because, because actually that just seems like having a good time and leaping around the place. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like um, just kind of being aware of like a student or a kid that might be, you know, depressed for a period of time and then all of a sudden... It's just magic, like almost like something's happened. Maybe it was like a birthday party or, you know, something triggered it. And then they're way up, a lot of energy, um, wanting to do things, creative ideas, mm -hmm. um, you know. So just being aware of that for certain kids, too. And if you have a coworker that has bipolar, I mean, again, how do you, how do you deal with that? How do, uh, I mean, obviously, it's not about changing the person with bipolar, but how do you... What, what's, the be what's the best way to be around a bipolar person? Um, I think that my assistant, uh, Selena, does really well for me. I call her my lady sitter um, because she babysits me, but I'm not a baby. I'm a lady. Um, so she kind of keeps an eye on me. Um, 
she, you know, she's supportive. Um, she never, you know, says like, oh, you're, you know, not coming to work again today. Or um, mm. she knows like, okay, I'm doing what I need for my mental health. Um, she's also able to like stop me for a second um, and say like, do you really think like you should be putting a swing in the middle of your office? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Or maybe buying another uh, uh, office is not a good idea right now. So she's able to, like, slow me down. So I think, like, if you're working with somebody, just kind of um, just kind of see, like, where that person is and kind of just support them with that. Yeah. Yes, that sounds great. And, and of course, helps being the boss because she has to be polite to you as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, that's really useful, actually. Um, um, so you told me, you said right at the beginning when I was writing down your list of things, that you said the words um, author. So tell me more about that. Yeah, so I found that a lot of people were asking me the same questions about how I created my private practice so fast. Um, and so instead of just kind of repeating myself, I wanted to share the wisdom that I learned from my mistakes and things that I succeeded at and put it in a book and offer it to everybody else who's interested in starting their own private practice. Right. So, so a lot of people get to a certain stage and they think that would be a great idea. So tell me more. Tell me about the book. What's it called? What sort of things do you cover? Um, it's called The Profitable Private Practice, How to Start, Run, and Grow Your Therapy Business. And we cover everything from um, just the social media and you know, paperwork and insurance claims, networking, um, business cards, all these things that you probably need to know when you start your business. Mm -hmm. um, and then it also redirects you back to my website where I have downloads that you can use in your practice um, and also have access to me. So I'm always open and willing to share with people. Fantastic. And where can we get our hands on that book? You can get it on Amazon. Or at my website, melissadesilva.com. And I guess that's, uh, well, I was going to ask you how to get hold of you. And I guess that's it. So melissadesilva.com. And I know it's all sorts of interesting goodies and things on there. Yes, I do lots of things. I have a couple of podcasts. I do online courses for therapists. Um, I created uh, lady sitter t-shirts because uh, that's a phrase that I'm trademarking. So, uh, yeah, I do lots of things. And you run podcasts of your own? Yes, Chit Chat with a Therapist. So I talk with other therapists or individuals who have services or ideas that would be beneficial to therapists. Um, and then I also have Pride Connections, which I interview members of the LGBTQ plus community who are changing the world. Wow. So this is, like you say, it's the benefit of having that, um, that uptime, isn't it? You probably are more productive than many people who are on a more sort of even keel. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. And, you know, my husband is very supportive of it. I call him my rock, um, and I'm like the balloon that's just tethered to him. You know, he lets me float but doesn't let go of me. Um, so he he's very understanding of my ups and downs and is just always very supportive, um, especially when I said I was going to go to a conference in the Philippines. Uh, he was like, you're not going to a conference in the Philippines. And I was just like, yes, I am. And I ended up going. <laughs> well done. I'm not going to make any comments about uh, the success <laughs> behind every successful woman. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice to hear that phrase reverse. Um, Melissa, it's been a joy to talk to you today. And um, let's hope some people go and have a look at the book on Amazon, which was called, yeah. remind me again, what was it called? The Profitable Private Practice, How to Start run and grow your therapy business. And just remind me the name of your website again. MelissaDeSilva.com. You've been a superstar today. And thank you for that insight into bipolar. That's really useful. Thank you. I love sharing my wisdom with other people. That's brilliant. Thanks so much. You take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening today. You can go to our site, qedod.com forward slash podcasts, subscribe and see other titles in this series. Um, you can also contact us at info at qedod.com by sending us an email to talk about tough love leadership, accountability, resilience or avoiding burnout. And if you want a copy of our free ebook, which talks about the fundamentals of resilience, just go to the site and go to qedod.com forward slash free ebook and download it there. Take care.